So my wife, Kim, really uh, made an observation that I've, I've been enjoying the book of John for a lengthy period of time. I think she said the last two years, and it's probably even longer than that. And uh, recently when I was uh, reading through um, John chapter nine, uh, was put on my heart uh, as something I wanna share with you this morning. And so you're welcome to turn to John chapter nine. We'll be, uh, we'll be in this chapter for the entire time this morning that we're together. Um, and I want to look at sort of uh, some of some of the elements of it and, and apply them to our, our learning and understanding today. And so uh, we'll start with with at the end of the chapter where the Lord Jesus is talking about his purpose and coming to earth and, and rendering judgment. Um, and then we're going to just sort of pick the chapter apart, looking at the circumstances of the man uh, who uh, was born blind, the purpose or the reason why he was born blind. And then um, there's seven opportunities where he can testify, where he can offer a testimony of what the Lord has done for him, and we'll, we'll work our way through those, and, and, and then at the end, we'll, we'll uh, conclude with, uh, with the Lord having a conversation uh, with this man. I just briefly have to say, Keith Blair, I was talking with him last week, and I won't say much because what he said was, was quite interesting, but he said he was talking just about there's, there's a lot of sevens. Uh, in the Gospel of John, and sure enough, I went home and looked at my notes, and, and I had not identified that there were seven testimonies um, that the man rendered, but certainly there were. And so credit to Keith Blair, he's in Southern Ontario today, but he assures me he'll be listening to the recording of this message. And so I don't want him to, to think that I was uh, taking his thoughts without giving him credit. So let's turn to John chapter nine. We'll look at verses 39 to 41. I, I preach and teach from the New Living Translation. I put it up on the screen because I realize that's not everybody's version of the Bible. So if you want to follow on the screen, that's great. And if not, you're welcome to look at your your Bible in your lap. So it says in verse 39, Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to the man who he had healed of blindness. It says to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And some Pharisees or the religious teachers were standing by and heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? And the Lord says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So when Jesus is talking to, to this man, he's healed of blindness, he freely admits that he's entered to render judgment. But this word uh, judgment, um, and anytime you see parenthesis, that's the Greek word I will not be attempting to pronounce uh, any Greek this morning. Uh, but the definition from the, from the Greek word here is to focus on a result or outcome. And really, the idea is to make up your mind about something. And so uh, the Lord says he's come to render judgment to give sight to the blind and to show those who they, that they think they see that they don't, or the King James Version says uh, that those who do not see may see, and those who uh, may see be made, made, made blind. And the idea here um, of that, that notion about vision is primarily physical, uh, but the Lord didn't come to, to physically blind people. Uh, instead, the Lord, the Lord says that he's really come into the world to force to force a realization that you, we either see things um, through God's lens or, or not. And the HELPS word study uh, basically attributes this to uh, a physical sight that would then result in some sort of uh, non-physical or uh, spiritual realm or calling to action. I think a wonderful example of this is we can look at a beautiful sunset and it stirs our heart um, and, 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 and it speaks to us and it speaks to us about God and who he is and his creativity and his beauty and his majesty and his sovereignty and his power. And that response that we have from that sunset, it's not just from the sunset, it's a realization of who God is. And that's 
what the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He says, I came into this world to render judgment, to show people you either see things as, I, as, as they are or you don't. And, and in this case, um, he's open and, and straightforward uh, with, with the man who had been healed about that. So the circumstances, now we'll go to the front of the chapter, the circumstances of the man being born blind. And, the, and why do we start with the back end of the chapter? Well, it's important for us to understand what we're trying to accomplish here in that there is a divide here. There, there is a clear divide in this chapter. Either you believe the person confronted with the, with the truth of the situation believes and sees it as God sees it or, or doesn't. And, and so we want to keep that in mind as we work through this. So in, in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And what's so important here is that the Lord Jesus Christ saw this man. He saw this person and he knew him. He knew his burdens, his challenges, his struggles. God knows each person here in this auditorium today. God knows each person in this world intimately. And he knew this man. Now in verse 2, the disciples say, uh, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And, and sadly, and, and, and I'm going to sound critical of the disciples and the Pharisees and other people in this chapter. Uh, I, I don't mean to be, uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm no better than they are. And I see a lot of the mistakes uh, that I make in my thinking, in my approach to my fellow human beings uh, in them. And so I just, I want to, I want to own that and honor it before we go further. But here they, they miss a, they miss an opportunity because they've been with the Lord and, and depending on uh, some of the scholars you read, possibly they've been apart for a couple of months and just studying and learning from the Lord. But they come and, and they indulge their curiosity and they say, okay, you know what, I've always wanted to know about a situation like this, somebody born with a crippled foot, somebody born blind, like clearly, it's because they were going to sin, or because their parents sinned and God's punishing them. So why not ask the Lord? Um, because we've got we've got the teacher, uh, we've got the Son of God here with us. And as an aside, uh, this is just sort of a dangerous I thought, and we'll get in a moment, we'll get to Jesus refuting the thought, but there's just a couple of things here. We look at Job in the Bible. Um, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity, and yet terrible, terrible things happened to him. Um, and when we consider there's a problematic notion uh, that God would pre-punish somebody for their sin, right, so that this man's sins would cause him to be born blind, that God would uh, almost take pleasure or delight in a pre-punishment for something that the person um, had nothing, uh, no foreknowledge of or doing, or, or, and, and you know, God is good. The Bible is very, very clear about that. Um, and even though it's problematic when we talk about uh, the idea that God would punish uh, children for the sins of their parents, and there is some talk in the Old Testament about um, the sins of parents uh, having negative impacts or effects on their children, and there's children's children, but when you look at that in context, it's, it's about adultery uh, and, and worshiping idols and not giving God the preeminence he deserves and the negative impacts that that has on generations to follow. And quite frankly, I think that it's problematic. It's something that we do uh, ourselves today. And we apply false logic and we say, if I'm good, God's gonna do good things for me. And if I'm bad, God's gonna do bad things for me. And when something bad happens, I say, well, God, I was being good, why? Why is something bad happening? But the Lord refutes all of this thinking. He says this, it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. So he, he rejects the premise. He refutes the scenario. And he can do this again because he knows the circumstances. He knows the man 
better than the man knows himself. And so, and so the purpose then, so the Lord has sort of refuted that and he's going to bring this purpose in. And it's, it's, it's so important. And really it's the focus of our, of our message this morning. So the second half of verse three, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Um, the King James version says that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And, and when we look a little bit at this uh, through the Greek and through the, the meaning of it, it's really that the works or the power of God should be made visible or to be made clear in him. And so God's plan, as Jesus explains it, is that this man who's publicly seen as weak and insignificant and of no value, God's mighty works are going to be accomplished through him and everybody will see them. So the Lord spits on the ground in verse six and he makes mud with the saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Salome. Salome means sent. And so the man went, washed and came back seeing. And it's so important for us here to understand that there's a real sequence to this. The Lord tells him what to do. He does it in obedience. And then there is a result. And then in this case, he's healed. And this is the power of God revealed in him. Um, and there's, we'll, we'll touch on this as we go together this morning, so I don't want to belabor this, but, but God offers things to us all, uh, but there is, there is a responsibility on our part to act on them, and then God takes care of the results, and it's a true privilege and blessing to see this. And we, and we can understand that obedience through the natural world can lead to really wonderful supernatural things, and, and just like that, sun, that sunset I was talking about, is in the natural world and we can see it, but there's a supernatural stirring in our hearts, a spiritual awareness. Uh, so too uh, can these things happen uh, for us and, and in our lives. And the other thing I wanna, I wanna talk about here is, is just the, the, the nature of it. This is a significant miracle. Uh, it says later in the text that this has never happened before in the history of the world. But this, is done, this isn't done to the man, this is done with the man. And the Lord does this seeking consent um, and really, that's the, that is the part that, and why so much of what God does in us and through us requires our involvement. And because God doesn't force himself on anyone, he, uh, he loves all people and he wants a relationship, but a relationship is not forced. And so, um, you know, whether it's this man here and, and following the instructions the Lord gives him, uh, or it's us today uh, looking at what he's asked us to do uh, in his word, um, the results are God's, but the initial um, obedience is ours to be had. And so <clears throat> I'd, like to, I'd like to take a look now, and this is probably where we'll spend most of our time. I'd like to take a look at the testimony of, of this man. And, and it's interesting because each, each time he testifies, each time he shares, you will see an, ele uh, an elevation, an escalation, a furtherance of his ability to, to, to display the power of God in him. And so his first opportunity to testify, it says in verse eight, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. And this really tells us what it was like for this man, because he's literally in the room, like he's there, he's in the space, and they're still talking about him and around him like he doesn't even exist. And they would rather take somebody else's word who is not informed, who has no firsthand experience, uh, but they would seek that out and value that over uh, speaking directly to the person. But the man inserts himself 
Um, and, he, and he keeps saying, yes, I am the same one. So his, his first testimony is he, he testifies to who he is. Yes, I, uh, that's who I was before and this is who I am now. And I think when, you know, when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, that same testimony is often the very, very first thing that we can say is this is who I was and this is who I am now. So the second testimony that he has an opportunity to share, they asked him, who healed you? What happened? And the New American Standard uh, Version says, how then were your eyes opened? Uh, and I like that a little bit better because it's not as, it doesn't seem as friendly or cooperative. So, okay, you're the same person, then how are your eyes open? And really, uh, the totality of the identity of this person is that he's a blind beggar. That's all they know, that's all they care to, to quantify him as. And so how, how does this work? How does this fit into our, our framework? And we know that people, when they encounter the Lord, when they're, when they're touched by God, that they're forever changed. Um, I think, um, I'll indulge in an anecdote. Um, so <clears throat> for some of you, you'll know my, my family's testimony, uh, but I was saved at the age of eight and my, my family was, weren't believers. And my dad growing up was a functional alcoholic. And when I was around 16, uh, he received the Lord Jesus Christ as savior and he stopped drinking and, uh, which was a miracle. And, um, and it's, it's, it's interesting because my mom recounts to saying, well, she'd, she'd heard him say that he would change before she had seen him have, uh, stints or periods of time, uh, where he wouldn't drink, but it actually, her faith eventually came from seeing the real, uh, evidence of a change, uh, in his heart. Um, and in his life. And so, you know, effectively, before my dad knew the Lord Jesus, he was a functional alcoholic. Um, and that's who he was to my mom and, and to me and my siblings. And there was a change and the Lord forever changed him. And, and, that, and that was the opportunity for my mom to see that. And these people, they're trying to reconcile it because it's instantaneous. Um, you know, he was blind and now he can see. And so it's a little bit harder for them to process. It took our family months and they're seeing this transformation right before them. So in verse 11, he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me, go wash in the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. And I went and washed and now I can see. So he testifies here to the people who knew him beforehand and have seen the change in him for themselves. And that's something hard sometimes when we have, when we offer our testimony, when people who have known us our entire lives um, or known us for a period of our lives, I should say, um, and then, and then we have this newness in us. It can be a hard thing for them to recognize and understand. But the formula is the same. Jesus told me what to do. I did it. And now I can see. And, and he delivers up this simple, but profound truth to them. So this third, the third opportunity he has to, to share a testimony is starts in verse 13. Then, then they took the man who had been, uh, blind and uh, to the Pharisees and because it was the Sabbath uh, that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So there's no mistake or there's no accident here that the Lord Jesus did this on the Sabbath. It wasn't that he had a very busy uh, day following and he wouldn't be able to help the man that day. Um, this, this, is a, this is done on purpose. Um, and and it's, it's sad. It's, it's, not, it's sad that they, they didn't say, wow, this amazing miracle has happened by the Lord Jesus. Let's take him to the Pharisees so we can all celebrate together. But instead, and I think it just speaks to the culture um, uh, in the Jewish community at that time. Um, and so they bring him before the Pharisees and the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, you put the mud over my eyes. And when I washed it away, I could see. And, and now in his third opportunity to share a testimony, he testifies uh, to people who didn't know him beforehand about the change 
from who he was to who he is now. And this, and this is where we begin to see some real uh, escalation or buildup of opportunities. Um, I, I suppose if you had met the man an hour or two before the Lord Jesus encountered him and said to him, today you're going to go and you'll talk to the religious elite of society and, uh, and, and eventually as we'll find out you'll end up teaching them. Um, he might have said, well, I'm more likely to get my sight back than, than for that to happen. Um, and yet here he is with his sight restored, testifying to the religious leaders of the day about what has happened and, and, and being able to share his simple act of faith and, and the supernatural outcomes that have, that have come from it. So verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division among them. Now, this is incredibly problematic uh, for the Pharisees um, for, for many reasons, and I won't belabor this, but the Pharisees were needed to really see things the same way because there was a lot of competition between them and the Sadducees. There was animosity between them and the ruling Romans. And, and there was not, a, not through harmony or consultation, but, uh, but just really through the loudest and strongest voice, there had to be unity within the Pharisees so that their agenda um, and their way of thinking and viewing uh, things would move forward. And so the, the problem that's created is the, the first premise is that Jesus is not from God. He's working on the Sabbath. Um, and so he, he's disrespectful of God because he doesn't observe what God's asked people to observe. And really, unfortunately, the Pharisees have a narrow scope here. Again, I have a narrow scope. I'm not being trying to be critical of them, but just um, the Pharisees have a narrow scope um, and they're very focused on rules and regulations. Um, and because this didn't fit into their thinking about the Sabbath, they're, they're not on board. But another group within the Pharisees say Jesus is not not from God. Right. So every time I proofread that, I thought I, I mistyped it. But no, they're, they're saying, well, I'm not saying he's not not from God. Uh, because look at the miraculous sign he's done. Like, how can an ordinary sinner do something like this? Um, and, and, and healing a person blind, that's a true miracle. And quite frankly, that's things, uh, that, that's things that prophecy speaks about uh, can only really be done by somebody sent from God. And so there's this deep division amongst them, <clears throat> and it's problematic. And, and they're torn really between the reality that they've constructed and the reality uh, of what has happened. So then the Pharisees again question the man. So it's interesting, it's the first time the man's brought to them. And then we can infer that he is uh, set aside or, I don't know, put, put out and brought back in because it says then the Pharisees again question him. So this is, he's brought before them. Um, and they demanded, so you can see super friendly and nice, uh, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the New American Standard uh, Version says, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Again, not super friendly. And so here he is from morning as a blind beggar to counselor to the Pharisees now, um, and, and the power of God revealed in him. And the man replies, I think he must be a prophet or he is a prophet. And he testifies that Jesus must be a prophet. Now, this is a person gifted, uh, the context of the word prophet here, gifted in the exposition of who, of, of divine truth or who God is. And so we think about uh, the, he's saying the Lord Jesus is somebody that can show everybody the truth, the divine truth of who God is. Um, and this isn't the, uh, the answer that they expected or necessarily wanted to hear. I don't know if you've ever um, had somebody ask you your opinion and then dismiss, dismiss it. It's not, it's not friendly. Um, but they, but they, they say, okay, we're getting nowhere with this guy. So they actually take a step back and they attempt to undermine his testimony. 
Um, so the Jewish leaders, leaders still refused to believe that the man had been born blind. So they said, well, this doesn't make any sense. So actually, he's probably lying. He wasn't healed from being blind. Um, so they called his parents and they asked him, uh, asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? So, uh, so instead of consensus, instead of working through the situation, they just want to negate it. Um, and they, they're really not interested in entertaining the reality that, that Jesus has healed this man. And if they can prove that or become, you know, reasonably assured that this is a lie or not true, then they can just dismiss it. Um, it's interesting. If we think about the question that the disciples, uh, the disciples asked the Lord Jesus about, is this man, was this man born blind because of his sins or the sins of his parents? Uh, we can infer pretty quickly that, that they, the Pharisees uh, never would have considered speaking to these people ever in their lives because they're sinners. They are such bad sinners that their their kid was born blind. Like, I don't even know what kind of terrible sins they do, but I'm not even going to talk to people like that. And think about how offensive it would be because these parents have carried this, this guilt and this shame and maybe even believed it themselves for all these years, this man's entire life. And now they're being summoned before the Pharisees to be asked these questions. Now, his parents replied, this is our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. And I can only imagine uh, like what a mixture of feelings that they are going through. Uh, this joy and gratitude that their son's healed, probably elation, uh, maybe vindication, relief, uh, you know, that, that here, like, we're not bad people, like, we didn't do anything wrong. Uh, look, he can see it's not, it's not because of that and, and probably frustrated uh, because of the position that they're in. Um, and so they answer the questions kind of bare bones. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Let, born blind? Yes. And now uh, I like, I, I like the New Living Translation, but I do enjoy other versions. Um, they say, we don't, we don't know uh, who opened his eyes. So, so really they're saying that he's been healed. Uh, but they're not really willing to to stick their neck out or to say anything more of that. And when we read the text further, we understand that there was possibly consequences for them should they uh, speak highly of Jesus. And so, uh, unfortunately, that endeavor to undermine his testimony is unsuccessful. And so for for the second time, they call the man who had been born blind. And, and, and again, they've conferred, they've come to a decision. So he was brought before them once, they called him back, and now for a second time they've called him back, but this time they're not asking questions. They are telling him, and they tell him, uh, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So they've come to this conclusion, the miracle is irrefutable, so we're gonna take that part and give the glory to God, but Jesus is still gonna stay a sinner. And, and it's interesting because these people have a lot of authority and uh, probably are very comfortable with just telling people how it is and expect to be listened to. Uh, but as, our, as this man healed, um, has continued within a very short period of time to understand some truths and understand what's happened, um, he actually testifies back to them and he says, I don't, I don't know whether he's a sinner but I know this, I was blind and, and I can see. And I'm probably one of the most liberating things in this is he, he testifies to what he know and knows and what he doesn't know. I don't know if he's a sinner, but I know I was blind and now I can see. And, and, and what it, what's so important here is he's, he's being faithful to the truth of the situation. He's being faithful to what the Lord's done for him, but he's not 
trying to defend the Lord or explain things that he has no understanding of. Um, he just simply shares the truth and what he knows of it. And it's interesting because their response is, but like, what did he do? How did he heal you? So they're not, I don't think that they're completely convinced about their statement that God should get the glory and Jesus is still a sinner. Um, and they fall into a trap that they think we're all guilty of at times. And, and they want to understand the miracle before they're willing to consider the truth of the situation. And, and that's, that's a dangerous spot to be in. I think, um, I'm not putting myself down here when I say that I'm not the smartest person I know uh, by any stretch, but I, I do think it's it's hard for for people who are rather intellectual to um, to come to a place where they can be happy with something. And um, the reality here is this is impossible. If you're trying to understand how somebody born blind uh, has been healed, you, you'll never you'll never do it. It's the same idea of trying to understand how Jesus sacrificed on the cross. The mechanics of it how jesus sacrifice on the cross can take away my sins and the penalty of those sins and god who's holy and righteous and good can be satisfied with me because jesus christ has died for me and i've received him as my savior the mechanics of that i'll never understand and you know i've heard, you know you think about an elevator step on you push a button step off and you're on a different floor and that's about my level of understanding of elevators now there's some people in this room who could perhaps uh, explain the intricacies of an elevator uh, you know, more thoroughly, but at the end of the day, that's, that's a very simple concept, uh, compared to, to healing a person born blind or uh, having somebody's sins forgiven. And so, and so unfortunately they, they really want to accept or understand this based on their own terms and conditions. And, and the man, he says, look, uh, I told you once and didn't you listen? Do you want it? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples. So he knows that they're not really sure about their position. And he testifies now for the sixth test test testimony. He testifies that he's the Lord's disciple. He identifies himself with the Lord. He says, this is my, uh, my, my master, my teacher, and I'm, I'm a learner under him. I'm his pupil. I want to learn from him. Then they cursed him and said, you're his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses and cursed here is not, I don't think there's any pleasant cursings, but this is definitely not uh not 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 nice they're they revile him uh they they criticize him to his face and and they render abusive insults to him and why be well because he suggested that they could learn something from jesus and they declare that we're they're disciples of moses so they are pupils they are learners from moses and this is really at the center of their of their identity um, and they say we know god spoke to moses but we don't even know where this man comes from and and this word no like when they when they say it they say we know god spoke to moses but they weren't there so there is an element of faith where they're aware they they consider it they perceive it they were behold it like they regard it um but but they weren't there and and yet they know that god spoke to moses and and then the follow-up is we don't know where he come where this man jesus even comes from and quite frankly they were content in not knowing um even though the answer was right in front of them and this, this is maybe, I don't know, maybe my favorite portion of, of what he says. Well, that's very strange. The man replied, he healed my eyes and you don't know where he comes from. And the new King James says, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. And that word marvelous uh, means wondered, be surprised, mixed with doubt. So he testifies to the truth of who Jesus is in relation to God. 
We know, and he, he goes on, he says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open up the eyes of someone born blind. And so he, he just starts to break it down for them. God doesn't listen to sinners. He's ready to hear those who do his will. No one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. And that last slide is, he healed my eyes today. Today he healed me. I was blind and now I can see. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And there's, so there's a very simple logic statement here. Therefore, he must be from God. He couldn't have done it if he was not from God. And he answers their question that they didn't want an answer to about where Jesus is from. And he, at this point, is truly teaching some of the most elite and brilliant minds in the nation of Israel. And, and again, when we consider hours ago where he was and the condition he was in to this privileged position to, to quite frankly be able to punch them right in the face with God's truth. And I hope that's not an offensive metaphor, but I, I really believe that this, that this shook them so much so that they, that they snap and they, 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 they lash out and out at him. They say, you were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they, and they threw him out. And, and being jarred by the truth that they were forced to confront and his testimony and, and teaching, they attack him and they get rid of him. And that's, and that's something I do. I have done at times too, and I don't like what I'm hearing. I, uh, I can get a little aggressive or, or get it, you know, cast it away, get it out. But the reality is this is what God wanted to do through this man, wanted to share this message uh, with, these, with these people um, people that were leading his children, people that were leading a nation very, very special to him, uh, who had extensive influence over uh, each person, each person there. Um, we'll, we'll come to this slide here uh, to conclude because I want to be respectful of time. So the Lord comes and finds the man after the things have happened and, and, and he says, um, you know, do you believe in the son of man or, or do you believe in the son of God? And he says, yeah, I, I want to, who is he? Can you show him to me? And, and Jesus says, well, it's me who you're speaking to and who you see. And really this is the first time the man sees Jesus because when he met Jesus, he was blind. And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. And, uh, and that worship, it's interesting that we're not told uh, what that worship looks like, but I can only imagine what those, uh, you know, those hours strung together would have yielded as far as an appreciation for the Lord. But what's important for us this morning is, is this word believe, um, where the Lord asks, do you believe? And he says, yeah, yes, I believe. It's, it's the same belief in, in Romans chapter 10. And, and Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, find their ways into my message almost every time because I believe they're some of the clearest verses about what we ought to do to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's this idea, believing here is persuading oneself and also being uh, persuaded by the Lord um, of who he is, um, who he is, who says he is, and, and what he has done and what he can do for us. And so I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll, read, I'll read these verses, uh, these two verses, and then um, I'll close in prayer, and then I'll invite Rennie to come back up uh, to give thanks uh, for the potluck. Uh, if, you, uh, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by opening and declaring your faith that you are saved. Uh, let's pray together. Our God and our father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for who he is. We think about his time on earth, his encounter with this man, Lord, his ability to heal 
Father, and, and this man's ability, uh, Lord, to reveal your power uh, through him, Father, that it would be clearly evidenced that that what you're doing, Lord, uh, what you were doing then and what you're doing now, God, has nothing to do with human beings and everything to do with an all-powerful and capable God that he would use the weakest, the, dis the despised, the rejected, Father. And we think about how this man would testify not only of his healing, but of these spiritual truths, Father, and all, Father, uh, so that the truth would be known and, uh, and people would come to you, God. And so we thank you that Jesus would ask him, do you believe? And he could say, yes, I believe. And Father, that's our prayer this morning for each person here, that they would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, God. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, Father, that they would consider themselves before you, Lord, that they would ask questions, Lord, that they wouldn't be afraid to ask for help or, or further um, explanation, Lord, but ultimately that all people, Lord, would know you, Father. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him, and we thank you for this time, and I pray it in his name. Amen.